You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey everybody, this is Rick Hadrava with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You know, first of all, I just again want to take an opportunity to say thank you. Uh, all the emails we keep getting with your comments and questions and it just really lets us know that we're on to something. So please be sure to continue to send those my way at rick at epicsbiz.com. That's rick at epicbiz.com. You know, I'm very excited today to have with me on the Over 50 Entrepreneur, uh, Carol Roth. And, you know, I, I reached out to Carol several months ago but those of you that have listened to me over the last year and a half or so know that when it comes to social media, I like to do more than just post things. I like to read and and like to see who's posting what because I learn so much from people. And Carol was one of those people that I, I honestly had no relation to, um, no connection to, but I kept seeing her comments and in, in, in feeds that I follow and I thought they were interesting. I, I got to see more of her work and I just really respected what she was doing. And so I reached out and, you know, like I say all the time, the worst thing that could ever happen is a no, but she was gracious and agreed to be on the show. And just for those of you that maybe don't know Carol, I'll give you a little bit of background on her. She's a national media personality. She's the creator of the legacy planning system, Future File. And we're going to talk about that a little today. She likes to tell us that she's a recovering investment banker. She's a billion-dollar deal maker. She's a business advisor, company director. She's an investor, speaker, and author of a New York Times best-selling book, The Entrepreneur Equation. She's got another book coming out next year, so maybe we'll touch on that. She's also been on Mark Burnett's produced technology competition series, America's Greatest Makers, on TBS and the host of Microsoft's Office Small Business Academy show, among other on-air engagements. Carol also contributes various media where her multimedia commentary covers big and small business and the economy, current events, politics, and pop culture. She hosts her own podcast, The Roth Effect, which I recommend you check out, and is a weekly panelist on Fox Business's Bulls and Bears, as well as other programming. She's an avid defense, she, her avid defense, excuse me, of capitalism, free markets, and reason finds her op-eds published in a variety of outlets. And guys, I could go on and on, but the reality is I think we'll get the most by bringing Carol to the show and getting our conversation kicked off. So without further delay, I just want to welcome to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast, Carol Roth. Carol, thanks so much for taking time to be here today. Ooh, I'm exhausted from all, doing all of those things, Rick. My goodness. Well, well, that, it's an, it's an interesting observation because I was very impressed. It, it reminded me of the person that was always busy but yet always got things done, um, and and I think that probably describes you. But for for those that maybe don't know you, how did you get to the point where you are today? Tell us a little bit about Carol Roth. Sure. So, you know, the place I always like to start is that I'm somebody who um, I, you know, consider myself self-made. Neither of my parents went to college. My father was an electrician. 
but incredibly financially savvy and spent a lot of time talking about financial principles and, you know, don't take on college debt unless you can pay it down and those kinds of things. And I was fortunate enough to get into Wharton undergrad and I remember having the talk with my dad of you can't afford that. And, you know, I certainly can't afford that and doing the whole return on investment calculation. And so I promised him I would go into a field that would allow me to pay down any debt I took on quickly. And that is what led me to investment banking. I wanted to do something that you know, I could pay down something quickly and then get the most knowledge possible. And really, there were only sort of two main routes that were presented. One was to go into management consulting, which I always joke that it's that's the people who like to you know, get really deep into su subjects. And then people who have ADD go into investment banking because you can work on like 10 deals at once. <laughs> and so that's really how I started my career, um, purely for that reason only. But um, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I got to learn a ton and one of the things I think, um, you know, people always talk about financial success, whatever that means, um, is that you know, the best thing that it can buy you is flexibility. And so that really became my secondary goal. Like once I had paid down my debt and got myself set up from a, a financial standpoint where I was comfortable, that gave me the flexibility to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. And as you can tell from my bio, I still haven't decided yet, but I've been able to collect a lot of very interesting experiences along the way. Well, that's fantastic. And so so many great nuggets there. I'm curious, Carol. So along this path, you know, like you said, your your parents weren't necessarily entrepreneurs themselves. I'm hardworking and, and had the financial principles. When did you discover that you kind of had that entrepreneurial gene? Okay. So, yes, I will mention my mom was a, a sort of an entrepreneur. She, I actually talk about her in my book, um, The Entrepreneur Equation. She has what I like to, had what I like to call a jobby, which is a, a hobby that was disguised as her job or business. And back in like 1980, her and her partner were amongst the first to create the gift basket companies that now you see everywhere, but they were really pioneers in that field. Um, but you know, they were making like the equivalent of $4 an hour because they couldn't, they weren't running it like a, it was a, a true scalable business. They were running it because they were creative and enjoyed doing that part of it. Um, but you know, I was always an entrepreneurial kid. I, you know, was the kind of, kid who would sell anything I could get my hands on. I, I made shirts, I made cookies, I did, you know, what, whatever I could. Both of those things, by the way, if you know anything about me, are totally frightening because I'm not quite the artist and I have no idea how to cook or bake. So, um, but, you know, if there was an opportunity for me to, you know, exercise some fin financial chops or to do something entrepreneurial or creative, that was something that I was drawn to from an early age. So I always had a little bit of that, but didn't necessarily have um, anyone who nurtured that. In fact, I remember telling my mom and her business partner, 
you should get into what is now considered like more of a subscription business, but obviously there was no internet back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, early 90s. And, um, you know, I had suggested they went go into the college market and, and create these gift baskets for parents to be able to re- on a recurring basis send to their kids at college and created this whole business plan for them. And then they just kind of went, yeah, that's interesting, and then didn't execute on it. So, you know, that, that was sort of my first taste of ideas are worth nothing and execution is everything and uh, informed a lot of my work uh, thereafter. That's, that's, that's great. And so that kind of was your first entry into business advising, right? A little strategic (laughs) counseling. Tried to advise my mom and her business partner who ended up, um, you know, shortly thereafter dissolving the business because (laughs) they were making, you know, no money from it. Um, But uh, yeah, I've always been the kind who like to give advice and opinions on things. So that, that came early on as well. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, you know, you you got into investment banking after Wharton, um, did that for a while. What was the transition like when you left investment banking and where did you spend your time from, from that point early on? Yeah, I mean, that was a hard transition. Um, there were some dynamics that were happening in the industry at the time that I left. Um, you may remember that key provisions of Glass-Steagall were repealed, which allowed commercial banks to purchase investment banks, which was not allowed previous to that for a long period of time. And so the bank that I worked for, uh, which was this very fun, aggressive growth, very entrepreneurial uh, meritocracy, ended up being acquired by two commercial banks, first by Nations Bank, and then that merged with Bank of America, and it completely changed the culture there. So basically, everybody had to make a decision. And um, I had looked at some different entrepreneurial ideas and ultimately um, decided to go out on my own, but ended up back um, doing my own uh, investment bank with my husband <laughs> at the time, uh, which we you know, over time fa- found out that we were better as uh, marriage partners than business partners. But <laughs> you did spend several years working with him because um, he also worked for the same company. And, uh, and so, you know, my, my first, uh, true entrepreneurial journey after, you know, doing some business plans and exploring some things that didn't work out kind of for during the first dot com bubble was actually back you know, being entrepreneurial, but in the same place that I was at. Um, and then, you know, never, never really wanted to do that, but that was what I knew. That's where my contacts were. And so while I was trying to figure out other things, you know, that's where I, I ended up. Okay. Well, good. Well, let let's fast forward then, because one of the things um, that that you've been focused on is this creation of Future File, and tell us a little bit about that and and why you you chose to kind of create that. Yeah. So Future File came out of personal experiences. I think so many entrepreneurial ideas do. Um, along this great road that I told you all these exciting things, I've also had a lot of loss in my life. Uh, when I was at Wharton, my boyfriend of a year and a half was killed in a car accident um, at the age of 21. My mom passed away the day after her 51st birthday, a couple of years uh, into my investment banking journey. And then my stepmother 
um, had passed away around age 55 from lung cancer. So, you know, with all these experiences, my father, who I've already mentioned was very financially savvy, said to my sister and I, you know, if something were to happen to me, I want to make sure that you have all the information and, and know what to do and where everything is. And even though we had endured these losses, you, we didn't really think much of it. Um, and so we just kind of indulged my dad and said, sure, whatever. And he would give us you know, tons of information and ask us to put it in a file and everything from insurance policies to the key to his alarm pad, to keys to his safety deposit box, to, you know, how do you get into his phone and social media and, you know, all these things where he wanted to be buried. And we just were kind of like, oh, okay, whatever, dad. And in 2013, my sister called me one day in a complete panic and said, you know, that crazy file thing that you have, you need to get it. You need to get a hospital. Dad's been in an accident. And uh, my father you know, had been um, incapacitated and we had to make a bunch of decisions. And you know, the hospital was asking all kinds of questions. Uh, who's the power of attorney? Me, do you have the form? Oh, yeah, let me look in the file. Okay, here it is. Do you know what medications he's taking? Oh, let me see if it's in the file. Oh, look, oh, here, here it is. Here's what he's taking. Um, and then it was, okay, well, we can try and do this emergency surgery to, to save him. And, you know, do you want to do this? And we had discussed that particular scenario and gave the okay. And he didn't make it um, and was, you know, on life support. And we had to make a decision of whether to pull the assistance. And we had been through that process too and had the information in the file. And, um, and then ultimately had to lay the body to rest and wrap up personal affairs. And so by having this file, my father did several things. Um, one is that he kept my sister and I uh, allies instead of adversaries during this process, which you know is, is obviously priceless. Um, and not only that, but saving us more than five figures and also um, hundreds of hours of time by having all of this information clearly articulated. And so, you know, this was just a complete tremendous. Um, unburdening for my sister and I, and, and even things like, you know, having to make the, the sort of, you know, should we pull life support kind of decision? Like, I don't have to walk around with that for the rest of my life, because I know that my dad and I discussed that and we, we went through and, and executed his wishes. And so as I'm telling people about this, um, you know, people usually, I was expecting them to say, oh, you know, your dad was such a nice guy. But the feedback we were getting was, we need somebody to do that for us. Like, I need to do this for my kids. I need to do this for my significant other. Oh, I, you know, so-and-so has no idea where to find X. And so we found that there was really a need in the market where people may have done a will or done part of the planning or told people some of the things. Nobody really created that full roadmap to help people um, not only plan everything, but then the roadmap for the loved ones left behind to follow to make that process much easier in their greatest time of need. So Future File became that product, and we have a kit uh, very much like the one that my dad uh, made us do back in the day, uh, but a little bit more refined. And we also have a software version that resides on your, your own computer, not in the cloud, um, for security purposes. And you know, it's sort of a, a mission that my sister and I put out there so that we could help other families that were experiencing that same kind of challenge. 
You know, I think most of us listening ha- have some experience in that. And, you know, it's a whirl- whirlwind kind of situation a lot of times when you when you have a, a parent that, that you've lost. And um, it, I love it. The, the allies, you know, that that's a big deal because I have seen families, what we do on the wealth management side and the other business that I own, um, we've seen families ripped apart. Yeah. Um, through that process, and and it's unfortunate. So I'm I'm curious because this is a this is a problem, and in like any entrepreneur, you guys kind of saw this. How's the adoption rate been? I mean, you know how how are you putting this out there in the marketplace and and adjusting and what have you learned along the way, Carol, as you as you launch this? Yeah. So we do that. Um, it would be. It's sort of a challenge because it's an educational process. So it's not just we're not only selling the the product, we're also selling. You know, here's the issue. It's something that you know, didn't really exist in the market previously. Um, so that you know, fortunately, <laughs> we set ourselves up for this is going to take uh, a longer period of time, and it did. Um, and so you know, we go to market in a few different ways. We go direct to consumer. And some of that has to do with my media presence. Um, you know, things happen all the time. In fact, now, um, you know, you have a situation where Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, um, you know, unexpectedly passed away at age 46 with billions of dollars and didn't have a will because he probably thought, I have a lot of time. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that way and you just never know what's going to happen. And so you have to do that preparation up front. So, you know, when those kinds of things happen, um, typically, you know, we go into the media and, and tie into that, and that tends to drive the direct-to-consumer sales. We also partner with a lot of trusted financial advisors, so wealth managers, financial advisors, um, insurance brokers, some people on the funeral side, and, and you know, other, other folks that people trust and are involved in some part of this conversation. And we found um, that that creates a, a win-win situation, which is something that we always like because you know, we're not trying to do everybody else's job. We're just trying to do our job. We like for everybody to, to sure. do their piece that they're the best at and, and you know, really shine in that. Um, so I think uh, you know, that's been really great for us to, to have advisors who, you know, whether they give it away as a gift whether they charge their clients for it, whether they pass out a discount to them, you know, different um, folks do it in different ways, and, and we work with them in the way that's best for their business. But it it helps them help their clients prepare. And uh, you know, we have one financial advisor who uses it because he had a situation where he had a client who uh, passed away, and the wife called him up and said, you know, do you know who our estate planning attorney is? And he did not. And he's, you know, he felt horrendous that, you know, in this time of need, he's supposed to be this trusted advisor and he didn't have access to that information or even somewhere to point that person. So now he's never in that situation again because he could say, well, remember that kit that I gave you? You know, that is part of the information. If you go to the beginning of section three, you have all that information there. And, um, you know, that's a, a way to, to add value to clients. So it's, it's been a, a, a good win win. 
Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's fabulous. And and I applaud you and your sister for, for having the courage to put that out there. And I, I hope we get more adoption from that because it, it it's a critical part of the wealth management process, unfortunately. Um, and and uh, too many people like, like Tony, unfortunately, uh, especially when you're younger, you know, think, well, I'm, I'm going to live another 25, 30 years and it, I'll get to it. You know, yeah. always seems to be the addition. Well, listen, and, let, and be, and before, before you do that, get Bob, that you want to say it's also not just the financial stuff. It's a lot of the non, non-financial. Like, what do you want to do with your point. social media accounts? Do you want someone looking at the pictures in your computer or maybe not looking at the pictures <laughs> of the computer? You, the, we've had stories about people fighting over grandma's blue bowl that was worth $3, but it's sentimental. So the, the legacy that you leave behind isn't just that financial legacy. It's really that that state of your family. And I think that that's lost, unfortunately, uh, in a lot of the discourse as well. It's an excellent point. You know, um, we can always do a factory reset on the iPhone if we know how. Right. Um, as the joke goes. Well, listen, I want to shift gears with you because you've got a ton of experience in the small business space. Um you're on a lot of these programs. You, you've been active in helping the entrepreneurial community. I'm just curious from your point of view, why is small business so important to us in this country? Well, small business, you know, when they call it the backbone of the economy, it's actually a, a true statement. Um, you know, most people don't realize sort of the split between big business and small business. We have around 15,000 big businesses in this country, and we have 30.2 small businesses in this country. They account for around half the GDP. They account for around half the employment, or at least pre-COVID, they did. Um, obviously, right. we'll see you know, how that shifts. But it, 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 that is a huge um, you know, a sort of stabilization factor. And it's also, you know, tied into the American dream, you know, regardless of who you are, where you came from, whether you were born in America or not born in America, being an entrepreneur is the way for anybody to be able to change their lot in life, to build equity. And, you know, with the exception of perhaps a few spin outs, Every big company that we have in America started out as a small business. So it not just, you know, supports family and the economies, but it also is that stepping stone to creating these, these huge innovations. Um, so, you know, it is tremendously important and I think is, you know, very consistent with, um, you know, keep trying to keep the playing field level, decentralizing power and empowering the individual. And uh, I, I agree with you 100%. And I love the flexibility. You talk about financial flexibility and, you know, it's a double-edged sword. As a, as a business owner, you, you've got a lot of freedom, but you have almost double the responsibility. And um, But I love it. What Carol, what, what I'm discovering in some of the reading and researching and talking with business owners is there there's a higher degree of I'll say fatigue or burnout right now in the small business community uh, for a whole lot of obvious reasons. And I wonder if, A, is that something that you're seeing as well? I think it is. But I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on where these business owners need to be thinking right now if they're confronted with some of that themselves? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly um, small business owners, for being the backbone of the economy, are never treated that way. Uh, They have been sort of the punching bags of everybody from government to big business to Wall Street, sort of all in cahoots together, so to speak. And, um, you know, I think the COVID situation with government mandating small businesses um, in large part to shut down without appropriate compensation for that uh, is something that I I frankly think it's not constitutional. And we'll see if there are fights about that uh, going forward. But, you know, for small business owners, um, you know, this is a really difficult time because you've all the challenges that you face in business um, to begin with. And then you're layered on now having to fight with the rules and mandates when the store next to you, you know, is allowed to have a crowd around the block for Black Friday. I mean, it's just it's yeah. insane. So I think that, um, you know, if you're facing this, there, there's two things. There's sort of the, the mental state and then there's the business state. And for the mental state, I think you have to go back to why. Like, why are you doing this? What's the purpose? Who are you trying to serve? And you know that needs to be your motivation because as a business owner, you're in service of a lot of different people. You're in service of your customers. You're in service if you have employees or contractors of your of of those folks. You're adding to the economy, and and there's a a passion and a purpose you know internally that's tied to that. And I think that when you get in the weeds, sometimes it's easy to lose track of that. So just you know, spend a moment with your, yourself and maybe even write it down and stick it on your computer or in your shop if you have to. But like, this is why I'm doing this and this is why I'm committed to this. Um, and, you know, I think that that mentally you have to get there. I think from a business standpoint, um, if you are in a bricks and mortar type of business, you have to be thinking about, you know, how how do you move away from that? And just in general, and this was the case before COVID, but even more the case now, you know, how do I scale my business? Um, so it's a not so dependent upon me all the time over time and b so that if something like this were to happen again, or I get some other, you know, unreasonable mandate that it's easier for me to navigate around it because even though small businesses um, have borne the brunt of a lot of what's happened, there are many small businesses that have thrived during this because they were in either the right spot or they were able to pivot or they were able to find a way to service their clients in a in a different way. And so I think realigning your business, um, and obviously it's easier in some some arenas than you know if you're if you're cutting hair, it's going to be much more difficult um, than if you know perhaps you're in a, a different kind of a retail business. But I I would be creatively thinking about that. You, you know, it, it's a very good point that, that you bring up. And I think about um, actually making sure you're getting time away from the business to 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 kind of get your mental, you know, health going, because I, I see that as an issue. But focusing back on on the foundations of why you're in business. But also, you know, what struck me as I'm listening to you, Carol, is I, I, I believe I'm a big proponent on entrepreneurs being around other like-minded entrepreneurs, especially during times like these, because you talk about pivot and and connections and stories and knowledge and expertise in a community like that can make all the difference. And and I'm just curious if, if you are on the same page with me or if you have a different opinion of that. 
Yeah, I've had a, a number of entrepreneurs tell me that they've you know, found, uh, formed their own, you, you want to call them mastermind groups or, you know, sort of entrepreneurial support groups. Um, I've personally worked with a business coach um, for more than a decade. So I consider that instead of going to personal therapy, I go to business <laughs> therapy. But like you said, having people um, who are focused on solutions who have maybe gone through some of the same problems. Uh, maybe there are some synergies in terms of cross-promotion amongst you. I think having that support system, especially now more than ever, is really critical because being an entrepreneur, uh, as you know and as everyone listening knows, is incredibly lonely a lot of the time. And I think during um, you know this past year with all of the additional challenges and in some cases being physically separated from other people uh, ha- has made that double or maybe triply so. Um, so I think that uh, spending time working on your business versus in your business, the good old Mike Lee Gerber e-myth uh, saying, I think is always a smart thing to do and to have that support system. Um, is good. The, the recommendation I would make, though, is make sure you're getting the right people around you. You get people at or above your level. Level if you're the one who is, um, you know, sort of the guru in the room and and just giving the advice. It's going to be really helpful to everyone else, but you might not get as much uh, from it other than a good feeling in your heart. Never want to be the smartest person in the group. Never. <laughs> so, so uh, Carol, what has as you look out? You know, one of the things. I'm thinking about right now is how stressful things are and how it seems like it's harder to get people's attention. And, but I'm also trying to think about like what gets me excited as I, as I look forward and put you on the hot seat a little bit. What, what has Carol Roth excited as you look out into the next, you know, 12 months? So I think this is very personal because, you know, everybody has to be focused on their own goals and objectives um, so for me, it, it's always a, focused around the customer or the client and, you know, what can you do as a business owner or entrepreneur to um, increase your exposure to your existing customer base? As you mentioned, things are, are, are so crazy. It is harder to get new people's attention. But the people you already have the relationships with, it's much easier to sell more to them, to sell more frequently to them, to use them as conduits to bring more people into your business. Um, so I always find that to be exciting. And I think that, you know, particularly now, if you've done a good job in communicating with your customers and if you haven't start doing a good job of that, um, but if you've cared for them, um, as I have with some of the the customers that I've worked with and and, in my own businesses, um, you know, I think that, that they're going to be, you know, hopefully coming on on the other side of this, you know, and having maybe more free cash flow and a better attitude, even more willing to double down, um, and, you know, patronize those businesses that they have loyalty to. And I think that there's a more heightened awareness of how important that is. Um, so the opportunity to leverage that loyalty is, is always an exciting thing for me. So what I hear you saying is a great time to make sure you're close with your, your customers and, and, and taking care of them. Uh, always a good time, but uh, <laughs> yes, I, I would say do- double down on it. And even if, even if you're not selling them something, just 
you know, building up that relationship, checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, how are their kids doing? Is you know, is there something that you could be doing for them that's maybe outside of the scope of business? But just like solidifying those relationships is yep. so critical and something a small business can do that a big business can't. It, it doesn't take much to stand out, right? Something no, un- very, very little. Pe- that, <laughs> it's one of those things that people always forget is that the bar's really low. Right now. <laughs> yeah, so you know, for, for you to be that like beacon, like you said, doesn't take a lot. It, it, it's, uh, it's not to say that's not hard work, but it, it's fairly simple. Yeah. Well, Carol, you know, I played around on your website a little bit and you've got some great resources. Um, as, as again, as I was spending some time thinking about where people's attention, you know, where, where it is right now, um, I saw this thing, uh, your 60 low and no cost PR and marketing strategies. And it's a great little white paper that you've put out. Um, we're coming towards the end of the show. How, how do how do you how do we get people to to check out your website and get access to some of these resources that you've created to help the small business owner? Sure, um, they can go over to carolroth.com, and uh, the, like you said, the ebook is right there. If you are interested in um, as an expert giving your feedback on different posts that we have and getting PR opportunities, we have a PR list. Uh, if you can't find that on the website, you can email Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, at carolroth.com, and she'll get you hooked up with that. And then um, if you're more interested in my general musings, I'm always on Twitter at Carol J.S. Roth. Um, not for the faint of heart, but uh, you know, hopefully you'll learn something and laugh a few times. And uh, we talked about future files over at futurefile.com, and there's some resources there as well. And and I will give a shout out for the Twitter. It 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 gives me a smile because you <laughs> you, you have a, a whole category of things that you post on and it's not just business and it's some fun stuff and it shows your personality. And I think sometimes that's what gets missed on some of these social platforms. Well, listen, like I said, you know, it's been an honor to have you join us. Um, we're coming to the end of the show. Any last bit of advice or thought that you'd share with our audience before we let you go today? So one of my favorite things to talk about in the realm of business, since we just talked about social media and given the fact that the landscape has changed and people really need to be sort of reconsidering their why and and what they're doing, is to really make sure that you're always focused on ROI, which is return on investment, instead of ROE, return on ego. There are too many things that you can be doing out there that make you look good and, you know, you get pats on the back and you get likes and you do all those things and none of those increase the equity in your business or pay your rent. So make sure that you really are focused on if I'm doing something, how is this driving value in my business? How am I measuring what I'm doing? Am I spending the appropriate amount of time doing these kinds of things? Because it's just too easy these days to get caught up on the ego trip. And until we figure out how to monetize that, probably not a good use of your time. (laughs) Couldn't think of better words to wrap today's show. And guys, be sure to check out our website for today's links to the websites that we talked about and the show notes. You can capture that at epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. 
You can be sure to check out the website for other resources, including the Freedom Formula. Great tools that, that we've put out there for you uh, as small business owners. And as always, be sure to send me that email. I want to hear from you. That's rick at epicsbiz.com. I'd love to hear from you. We appreciate you listening. And as always, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com slash formula. And remember, we're only getting started.